Hello, and welcome to Double Exposure, a conversation podcast about comparing and contrasting cinema old and new, viewing two films through the same lens. My name is Bear Boswell, and I love film. I'm passionate about movies, and I'm no film major or famous critic, just a guy who loves going to the movies and feeling them for everything they're intended to be. This week on Double Exposure, we heroically enter into the oddly specific world of 80s action Christmas movies with the buddy cop film with an edge, Lethal Weapon, and arguably one of the most iconic action movies ever made, Die Hard. My wonderful guest here today to help me dive into these films of sweaty white men fighting bad guys is Jason Chow. What up, dude? Hello. I am not a sweaty white man. Uh, <laughs> Complete opposite. Yeah. <laughs> but which God, why, do I love... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is why I want you to help me discuss talking about these uh, oddly just... All these like crime 80s cop movies, they're just like in a puddle like by the end of the movie and they're just so dirty and yeah. so bloody. That's oh, just yeah. like total, like that's just a theme in itself. It's like, wow, they're really exerting themselves to the point where they are just totally ripped. Like they've gained muscle <laughs> by the end of the movie. Yeah. They're just looking crazy. I'd love to do a sweat meter of eighties action <laughs> movies and, and somewhere in this is lethal <laughs> weapon and certainly die hard, but also up there is like the original alien. Yes. And oh my gosh. Terminator Ter- 2. Terminator, yeah. Yeah, see, we were on the same wavelength. The sweatometer, Like Total Recall and all those yeah. crazy 80s movies. Yeah, well, the these... PAs had like several bottles of spritz just to get on that actor, you know? Yeah, exactly. And you wonder if it's just like baby oil or something too. <laughs> You're like, oh, what the hell? The secrets of Hollywood sweat? Yeah. I always <laughs> wonder that, dude. Yeah, dude, check it's out. in the back of my mind all the time. Check out my new book. I just wrote it. <laughs> the secrets of Hollywood sweat. <laughs> So we've got arguably like two of the most like 80s movies ever, Christmas movies at that. And if you yep. type in on Google and say, is Lethal Weapon a Christmas movie? Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? It will spit back at you 100% yes, it is a Christmas movie. And I love that because Christmas is only mentioned like three or four times throughout the duration of the whole movie yep. with either a Christmas song at the very beginning or a Christmas song at the end, and then one mentioned like, oh, hey, by the way, Merry Christmas. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, Merry Christmas, by the way, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Every now and then they might like explode something that is Christmas related. You know? Exactly. Like a, like a mall Santa or something like that, just to really hammer in the idea just of when this is set. Really quick, or like at the end of Lethal Weapon, he's like, oh, we're having Christmas dinner, by the way. You want to come yeah. on in? It's like, oh, that's right. And then it's like they play Silent Night or whatever at the end, or like I'll be yeah. in for Christmas. Yeah, Jingle Bell Rock in the beginning. Jingle of Bell Lethal Rock Weapon. at the beginning killed yeah. me. Absolutely <laughs> killed me. I was like, is this, this is what we're getting into? Well, there's like this very vaporwave, like Lethal Weapon. Yeah. Like Mel Gibson. It's like Jingle Bell, Jingle yeah. Bell. Yeah. Like what are we watching right now? And apparently it was a it was a real bitch to get uh, Warner Brothers to even put that in the beginning of the movie. Really? Ultimately, for what reason? Why? Why <laughs> was apparently it? like a bunch of loops, a bunch of loops, just for ultimately zero payout? In my opinion, absolutely, really no no difference at all. Was it your first yeah. time seeing either of these movies? Uh, it was definitely my first time seeing Lethal Weapon, uh, and. I had watched Die Hard like many classic movies on TV as a child, but like in bits, like in snippets. And so Mm -hmm. I got the gist. I remember seeing a young 
Bruce Willis as John McClane, but I never seen it like all the way through, uh, especially I think towards the the very end of Die Hard. Okay, little bits that kind of helped me inform me of this journey that kind of Bruce Willis goes through. Um, but yeah, basically, basically, I would say they're they're first run throughs for me. For you, yeah, just like first viewing. I remember my yeah. first viewing of Die Hard was like around this time, or maybe even like like more Christmas time um, last year, about a year ago, and it was with wow. like like fifteen other people, and it was just incredible. We all were merry with wine and just having a <laughs> blast watching this absolutely crazy movie. And um, I got a I got a bit of a confession. I own every single Die Hard movie on deluxe, deluxe DVD with like as many features as you can ever imagine. You know, just casual me a couple years ago walking around the the, the local thrift yeah. store. And for some That's reason, someone you. must have had a really rough experience with Die Hard to the point where they needed to get rid of not one, not two, but three of the 90s Die Hard movies. I'm talking deluxe. There's like three discs in each one. They're like remastered to oblivion. Commentary off the wazoo. So someone must have really like had this intense relationship with Die Hard and it just <laughs> it just <laughs> fell off hard. Like something like, like, just a, like an exodus. Yeah, they read something about Bruce Willis that really bothered yeah. them. Oh. And they're just like, can't do it. So, you know, I snatched them. So I got. Yeah, absolutely. so I watched Die Hard last night. For about 20 minutes, I watched it with commentary, um, which okay. I've never done before. And I actually, 20 minutes in, I had to stop because I was like, what am I? I got to enjoy this for what it is. This movie, like, I don't know if I want to hear the director and the production designer talk about it over the movie. I'm like, I want to hear, like, the yippee motherfucker. Like, I want to yeah, hear that. Yeah, absolutely. And he absolutely. started talking, like, over it. I'm like, uh-uh, I can't do this. So mm-hmm. I think... I received a lot of cool points and learned a lot just in the 20 minutes, but I was like, you know what? I can look at this later and see. So it was a really interesting experience. And then, yeah, with lethal weapon, I found like a discount pack at uh, a store (laughs) called entertain Mart where it was all four (laughs) lethal weapons on the same disc for $4, (laughs) which sounds about right. Honestly. Yeah. 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 The most I'll pay is a dollar per movie for Honestly, (laughs) these, cult classic 80s films defined a defined maybe a decade of, of blockbuster films right I'll pay a buck at max <laughs> at max yeah well let's go ahead and um dive right into lethal weapon um yeah lethal man. weapon it was the year before die hard so these are both towards the end of the 80s you know end of the yeah. the sweat as you may, may say, I mean, we're still getting a lot of sweaty movies today, but the sweat yeah. in this age is extreme. You know, it's the 80s, man. Like 87, Michael Jackson was huge. We got Danny Glover in this oh, film. Man. We got Mel Gibson. So, like, this is like 80s prime right here. Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. And we, and it's uh, Richard Donner who ended up doing all four lethal weapons. Mm-hmm. Um, which is very different from Die Hard, which saw about three or four different directors throughout the run of their, um, just the series and that. So, yeah, this was a huge movie, I think, for the 80s. Buddy cop film, and people loved it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I, I felt weird going into it, because I think it's either written or produced by Shane Black, right? Shane Black had something to do with Lethal Weapon. Yeah, and Shane Black wrote it. Wrote it, Okay. 
and he directed Iron Man 3, which mm-hmm. was my introduction to Shane Black. And as a buddy cop film, I don't think that's as successful, even though it definitely runs. It, it parallels Lethal Weapon, interestingly, because it is also set in Christmas and it is supposed to be this buddy cop duo kind of deal. Mm-hmm. And Iron Man 3 sucks balls. <laughs> it's 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 awful. I hate it. I even I hate it worse than Iron Man 2. That might be <laughs> controversial in itself. But I was I had to go into this with good feelings because you're absolutely right. It's so quintessential 80s in the sense that it's Danny Glover. It's where, you know, that f- famous phrase is said all the time, which which isn't even said in this movie. He does he never says I'm getting too old for this shit. He just yeah, he says, does. no, he just says, I'm too old for this shit. Oh, not getting too old. Same yeah. thing, right? Yeah, same no? thing. Yeah, you're Kinda right. Same, right. Thing. same thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Speaking of like the famous lines, like this is like one of those movies where I was hearing those lines. I'm like, oh my gosh, people have been quoting this for years. Yeah. Like yeah, maybe absolutely. not as quotable as Die Hard, but no. like a lot of this is like, um, like nobody wants to fucking work with me. Like stuff, <laughs> stuff like that. It was just like, well, I don't want to fucking work with you. It's like this is great. Or like, oh, you must be a lethal weapon, huh? It's like <laughs> that was such. That was that was like in the first like what fifteen minutes of the movie. I was like, I was like, they, re- oh, they really did it. Oh, let me tell you one that I really like. It was. Oh, um, <laughs> I was driving. I, I was driving before you were an itch in your daddy's pants. <laughs> there we go. That was come a good on, one too. dude, from yeah. Danny Glover. Yeah, I mean, yeah, those are so good. The rapport between the two is fantastic. It's really great. And it's not the first buddy cop film ever mm-hmm. by any means, mm-hmm. but it's def- it's certainly one of the most iconic and for valid reasons. Like the relationship that they build and like the little banter between them, like is it's just so good. It makes the film it. Here's an interesting take. I think it also sometimes breaks the film in terms of pacing. Really? Like their chemistry? Yeah, because it's it seems to be the one thing I will say is it bad boys kind of took from this too, and and we we take the buddy cop formula and we kind of run down kind of like a mystery between the cops, right? Like like let's see the the clues follow down a connection between one of them or have like contention with the other and, and all mm-hmm. this other stuff, right? Uh, we we see that in bad boys and we see that in a bunch of other buddy buddy cop films, but they're the one scene that's meant to be the most endearing, which is like their first meeting each other or. Mel Gibson's character first meeting Danny Glover's like family is supposed to, meant to be like really endearing. It's supposed to be really good. And it's supposed to solidify their relationship. Like these are real dudes or they got real baggage or, or they should be taking care of right. each other. And they're putting it aside for the job. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I thought that kind of broke the pacing a lot because we, we break so hard for so long from the mystery to have this moment where we've seen endearing moments like that in other films work, I think better more concisely Mm -hmm. or hit impactful moments better. But at the same time, it totally makes the movie because it lethal weapon is heavy and dark. I didn't realize it would be this heavy and dark. Cause you think of like buddy cop, you think of like Starsky and Hutch, you Mm -hmm. think of, you think of Will Smith getting like Martin Lawrence's fat ass out of his Lambo, you know, like Beverly Hills cop. Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly all these moments of brevity, almost too much moments of brevity. And or like this Blues brothers, blues brothers. Yeah. Very oh wholesome. Yeah. yeah. That's good. That's good. They're very wholesome. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this movie is dark and it deals with extremely dark tones. And the thing that breaks that is the brevity between these two. The, 
the machismo in these 80s films, man, it's problematic. It's a little problematic in today's world, I think. But it also Uh, kind of works in the context of these films. There was, oh my gosh, there was just like, I mean, it really does like, this was right around the time. Okay, this was right around the time of like Rodney King being murdered with like, and then this this was prior to the L.A. riots, um, and prior to a really important movie, um, or right around the time of a really important movie called Do the Right Thing, directed by Spike Lee, and mm. so I think that this has a lot of police brutality awareness because, um, and just like mental health of cops in general, and I love that aspect of it. I thought that the first. 30, 45 minutes where you're kind of diving into this character of Mel Gibson's um, Riggs, I believe is his cop yes. name. Yeah, Riggs. Martin Riggs. Martin Riggs. And he's, um, there's a, yeah, there's a specific, specific scene that I was just like, holy shit, where he <laughs> is in his little kind of caravan trailer home right. and he's watching TV and he sees a picture of his wife and he's got his gun and he almost shoots himself with like the picture of his wife in front of him. I almost broke down myself. That was intense. Mm. I mm. wanted more of that, honestly. I, I think I think if they dealt more with that and then they lost some of the, like, just kind of the, uh, like, just, like, oddly grotesque and cheesy. And I mm-hmm. think for me, the, p- the pacing really mattered after that because after that they could have paced it differently where they're, like, checking up on each other and reevaluating what it means to be a cop. And it's just like, man, you can't be there doing this go. stuff, you know, and, like, him getting help. But instead it's just, like, Oh, we'll just fuck it. We'll just bring him on. <laughs> yeah, we'll just, we'll just bring him on. He's totally unstable, but we'll just bring him on. I'm sorry. Oh that, yeah. No way. No Absolutely. way. When he jumps off of the roof with the guy, oh my yes. gosh, that was yeah. crazy. You know, so yeah. I think the mental health of cops portrayed within this movie this right. would never this would never go down. And I think obviously it's a movie. It's unrealistic. But I mean, I just don't think that it has aged well for me. And I was just unimpressed with how it kind of felt like, oh, okay, like nothing's really changing, you know, like, yeah, they became friends at the end. But like, uh, you know, it's just like it's like scene, scene, yeah, scene, scene yep. instead yep. of cohesive movie like Die Hard, where it's just this, oh, my gosh, holy crap. The whole time yeah. it's like, oh, cool scene done. Oh, another cool scene done. It's like it's like a YouTube. It's like it's like the movie was meant to be cut for YouTube, and you could just click. Ooh, funny scene from Lethal Weapon. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, those, yeah. Those are kind of my raw thoughts. I think that kind of turned me off. But yeah, the if you want to touch on the mental health of cops, that's kind of a big one. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I I think you're absolutely correct. Um, and I would even say that that's kind of a product of both movies because not only are we talking about two iconic 80s action movies we're also talking about two movies that center around cops um yeah. Like and they're, yeah they're both it's crazy kind of like yeah you you saying that you would think like oh they're like the same movie yeah yeah it's a it's an nope. apollo 13 and uh whatever other space movie came out that year the yep. one that isn't as notice notable uh <laughs> i'm not sure what it is I can't you think see of it. yeah <laughs> it's that unnotable yeah <laughs> Movie buffs scream at me. You don't know it either. No one cares. Um, but you don't know the other movie, man. What the <laughs> heck, dude? But um, it's it's amazing because they both kind of dissect uh, very masculine '80s characters. You know, they uh, I forget which movie actually. It's I think it's Die Hard. 
that references both Rambo and Schwarzenegger, which are kind of like early mid mid eighties kind of like action stars, right? But towards these movies, which is towards the late eighties, yeah, it's uh, it's intense. It, you know, we're, we we when we talk about looking at how the eighties looked at cops, period, and then mm-hmm. how the eighties are going to look at cops in in action film right. context. Mel Gibson, who's problematic in himself, I felt weird watching. Yes. Oh my gosh, dude. I was, I couldn't help thinking about like, is he okay making this movie too? (laughs) He's probably, this this movie was interesting in that Richard Donner tried really hard to be quote unquote liberal and be quote unquote progressive. Uh Um, There's a lot of anti-apartheid little bits here and there. Um, in the scenes that he tried to insert, uh, but at the same time, Richard Donner himself also had some challenges with being liberal. Like he didn't see Murtaugh, he couldn't see Murtaugh as being black and being cast as Danny Glover, which it's very interesting to see someone like Mel Gibson, uh, who is a monster, <laughs> be be on the same screen as Danny Glover, who's amazing and I love him, uh, but he plays the psychotic, suicidal kind of ex green beret kind of like vietnam war ptsd guns a blazing basically a 12 year old playing gta kind of cop yeah that's such a <laughs> good comparison <laughs> you're totally right yeah like, no like, one who gave this him. kid this controller yeah you cannot be doing this right now <laughs> who are your parents yeah, yeah exactly it's like watching a kid yeah and mm-hmm. while that is yeah the, how i kind of describe this movie it's like it's your it's like your racist uncle's favorite movie it's kind of how I would describe this movie. Like, <laughs> yeah, I will say good on them for having a little bits of anti-apartheid. Good on them for having sure. Danny Glover be yes. more or less Dan- the, Danny the protagonist. Yeah. Danny Glover slaps, dude. That guy is, <laughs> he just crushes it in this movie. I love Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I, I kind of hate that he just like dogs on his wife's cooking the whole movie. He's just like, mm. <laughs> he's just like, you want to come in and eat this awful turkey my wife just made? <laughs> <laughs> to her face to her face to so her she knows face. it too it's yeah. like come on man you can't oh, be telling man. her that yeah uh god but it, that that is the great contrast between the two characters is that mel gibson is unhinged right. totally unhinged and yes. Danny glover is on composed. the cuspus yeah composed on the cuspus of retiring but at the same time like even though he's about to get out of the force he's not like I'm not doing this anymore, man. I've I've done it for 20 years. Like he's still in it and he's still proud of what he's done, but he he's experienced and he's exactly like, like, right. He's composed versus the contrast of like Mel Gibson's completely unhinged character. He has something to fight for. He has a family, right? Family's a huge point because Mel mm. Gibson, I I don't think, because as far as we're aware, Mel Gibson's character rigs, he lost his wife in a car accident, but he didn't lose a kid. Did he? Was it just the wife? Yeah, just the wife. But, like, as far as we can tell, based on his experiences in the Vietnam War, that was his will for living, like, a normal, quote-unquote, life. Like, otherwise, he would have just been, like, the Punisher in Marvel Comics, just murdering people for fun, just to feel something, you know? Yeah. Just one of those guys. Yeah. Yeah. I watched the director's cut of Lethal Weapon, um, Mm. and I, as far as I'm concerned, you didn't. I did not. No, the regular... So there, I watched I the was, HBO Max version. Okay. Oh, so basically, that's like <laughs> director's uncut, unrated. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, I so okay, I watched the movie first on just like rented it on Amazon, mm. um, and got it and paid like a few bucks and got it and was watching it and then I stopped 
because I realized that we were going to do this episode at a later date. So I was like, oh, I don't want to watch it right now. I want to watch it closer to when we record. So I then I was at Entertainment, which is best video store in town. Incredible. It's like Costco for media. It's just incredible. It's so yeah. awesome. And I was there and I found Lethal Weapon 1 through 4 for five four bucks. So, And I was like, okay, I'll watch it. And I saw it was director's cut. So I had watched the first 45 minutes of regular Lethal Weapon, and then mm. I started it over with the director's cut. And the regular cut is dark. This is a lot darker. There was Ooh. a scene where there was a like a shooter, like a school shooter sniping mm-hmm. at people, at kids. Mm-hmm. And Mel Gibson is like, go, like just walking straight through the line of fire, like straight through this guy. And this, this sniper is just like, I'll shoot you, I'll shoot you, motherfucker. <laughs> and yeah. he's shooting at him and he's missing every single time. And Mel Gibson knows he's like, oh, oh yeah. And he, he says something. Oh, it's yeah. just, it's, and he just shoots him point blank and then just starts like sweating and like, freaking out and they're like and that and that's right before the scene with the cocaine where he's like shoot me oh. shoot me shoot me shoot me yeah. kill me so kind of redundant if you if you had those back to back he's he's a little more calm in like the school shooting one the school mm-hmm. shooting one is definitely like pretty risky to put in but it was interesting i thought no, i was yeah. like curious how are they going to they were going to set up the movie so i think with his character i find him to be yeah incredibly problematic you still have a sure. heart for him for how danny glover has a heart for him because you exactly are like okay if he's coming around then i can come around too but yeah just from the logistical standpoint of it like if a real cop is dealing with somebody like this get mm-hmm. that guy the hell out of there man <laughs> yeah. oh my gosh that no, is dangerous yeah. especially with what we have going on right now mm-hmm. in this crazy right. political climate of a time watching right. this i was like I hate cops. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. It, it, it was strange that for a while we were like, okay, we've done these crazy He-Man superhero Arnold Schwarzenegger type protagonists. Let's yeah. go back to grounded. What is it? The heroes of society, cops, and now exactly, it's a very different climate. Um, but I kind of, I kind of enjoyed that though. I, I. I enjoyed the contrast of not only the characters between Mel Gibson and, and Danny Glover's characters, but also the idea of we hate Mel Gibson. <laughs> period. We hate, P- period. We, we hate, we do not stand Mel Gibson. We do not stand <laughs> Mel Gibson. I stand Bruce Willis. Actually, I don't know if I stand yeah. Bruce Willis either. Maybe not now. But right, but we <laughs> definitely stand Danny Glover. You oh, cannot 100%. not stand Danny Glover. He's so good, dude. He's so good. I think you're absolutely correct in that Lethal Weapon's only Christmas references are literally the song Jingle Bell Rock at the beginning yeah. and then sharing a Christmas dinner. Even as cops, when they're outside in town doing the, the cop beat thing of like, we're right. going to go and investigate this lead. Oh, we're yeah. going to talk to these kids and all this other stuff. Not a single decoration. Not no. one goddamn decoration. Not a single bell in the budget. No, maybe Not the Christmas all. tree scene where he's buying Coke, but oh, like that's, that's right. it. You know, <laughs> oh, he's that's right. Yeah. They're like, oh, while you're buying this cocaine, it's Christmas. Yeah. Do you want to buy a tree too? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you made a hundred thousand dollars. You can have any tree you want, man. This is <laughs> this is your playland. Uh, but I got Christmas vibes from it in the sense that incredibly dark. I was mm-hmm. thinking about maybe introducing these movies to my nine-year-old brother. 
not going to do that. Oh, That's you didn't <laughs> do that. Yeah. yeah oh, no. my yeah. gosh. Yeah. Because I thought Die Hard, it's just an action movie. It's so in the I remember you shoot me a text. Up. Yeah, you shoot me a text like, I'm going to watch it with, with my brother. I'm like, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay, dude. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I mean, whatever floats your boat. I'm not going to tell you who you can watch it with, but yeah, what yeah. the hell? <laughs> <laughs> I'm very glad I didn't, but there, I, man, there's just some Christmas vibes about bringing bringing people together going through some banter going with your mate and just having a good time and, and getting to know people for what they are even though again mel gibson even if, even if you feel for him he's still a monster invite him to christmas dinner never invite him again your daughter's making googly eyes at him that's mm. that's a federal offense in itself my god mel gibson already is problematic we should probably just not deal with that period but at the same time I can't help but feel some fuzzies inside watching this movie. So obviously this is just directly an action movie. So you're going to get straight good gunfights, good combat yeah. scenes. I don't think, okay. I thought, I thought it was pretty corny. Some of the action, honestly, yeah. it wasn't great. And we'll get into, we'll get into Die Hard's action. Cause Die Hard's action is, oh it's impeccable. Gosh, it's yeah. literally, it's literally perfect. So this, this, had a lot left to be desired. I thought yeah. that the action was really great around the characters. Like the characters brought a lot of action. The character Jacob, Gary Busey, holy <laughs> shit. Dude, he was awesome. Yeah. That was yeah. like it was just like where that one scene where they're that one scene where they're in the club and they are they're like, oh hey, Jacob, come here, dude. Let me show you. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. come on, come on, dude. Let's show him that thing that we can do. <laughs> and yeah. he just gets the lighter. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. And it's the most, it's the hokiest like cinematic technique of just like, we'll put the lighter vaguely under, but definitely in front (laughs) of his arm. And then you react like he's lighting his arm on fire. And are we going to do any effects? Are we going to like light his arm up to make it look like, no, no, just this little lighter that's meant for a cigarette is just going (laughs) to touch this, basically this cigarette sized hole in his arm. And he's just like, go get that checked out, but you're fine. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah. A yeah. lot left to be desired. You're absolutely right. I'll definitely concede there. But when, it, in terms of like eighties action films, I always think of that, like that scene in Tropic Thunder with that one guy, he's got like the detonator and he's just the explosives dude. And he's just like, he's absolutely not only into it, but himself too. And he's right. just like, yes, <laughs> just explosions. And that's kind of like the flamboyant nature of eighties action films in terms of explosions and gunfire and muscles that I think of. Yeah. And this doesn't have as much of that. It's, People often, you know, when they talk about the original Die Hard, they often talk about the amazingness of how grounded that is. This is even more grounded, Lethal Weapon. It's like no one's doing extremely crazy stunts at all. No one's jumping out of buildings uh, from like 20 stories up. No one has a machine gun. Mm. No one's fighting robots. It's extremely grounded. Do you think that works pretty well for the movie in that case? Because I think I thought that, I desired more action and less of the mental um, uh, illness address. And Mm -hmm. I feel like I didn't get that. And so I was, I think I was left honestly like pretty disappointed with the film. I love, I liked it, but do do you think that it complements it well with the lack of action then? Yeah, I think, I think it works. And I think you're right in that it could have worked better. I think that's going to be my answer in the sense that like, I think if we had as much bombastic action in a, extremely fast-paced scenario we wouldn't get as much of the connection between the two 
in the mm-hmm. darker tone that they had set it for. I think in like a movie like Bad Boys, it completely works. A hundred percent of Martin Lawrence and Will Smith's relationship in that movie is banter. Yep. Whereas in this, we're getting a lot darker tones through Mel Gibson's character, and we the the choice here was to dissect that more from a character standpoint. I will say, I think the joy of Buddy Cops is the brevity, and if we're gonna go with brevity and if we're gonna go for lightheartedness, just camp it up. Just go yeah, all the way. Come on. Good, good. That's what I'm saying. I think I was wanting absolutely. just absolute ridiculousness and uh, more of a stronger focus on the action. Mm-hmm. Um, like we see in Die Hard, they brought the vulnerability of the character and the action pieces both at the same wonderful pace. And I feel like this movie only brought the emotional aspect and left a lot to be desired in the action. Yeah, that's yeah, super fair. Absolutely fair. I still like it because I have some issues with Die Hard, but we'll get into that. So Lethal Weapon, 1987. Absolutely one of the most classic buddy cop films with an edge of mental illness and this kind of psychotic personality just amidst what it's like to be in the police force and how to cope with that and how to deal with it. Um, often it hits pretty pretty awful hard and produces some great scenes of emotion, um, but quickly jumps overboard. It kind of sticks its tongue at you like it's joking at you. Uh, so just when you can take it serious and have it uh, be fun and kind of have these really fun campy action scenes, it becomes a little bit corny to the side of boredom, unfortunately. Should it be taken seriously then? I don't think so, but when dealing with the mental health of a cop, I think it should be clear what realm is being reached. But is the action in the end pretty good? Most definitely. So I'm going to go ahead and give this movie a three out of five. The year is 1988. (laughs) Jesus. Die Hard comes into theaters and it only makes $700,000 in its (laughs) opening weekend. (laughs) But it is now... One of the most notable, quotable, just treasured action movies of all time. And I'll just I'll just say it right off the bat, man. I think this is my favorite action movie, personally. This is a hundred percent my favorite action movie. I think this movie is my personal favorite. I it, who knows? There's there's a lot of great ones. Don't get me wrong. This is yeah. for sure a top five option for all time action movies. Bruce yeah. Willis, John McTiernan who did, oh my gosh, dude, John McTiernan's the best. He, so he did all the diehards before they started revamping it in the early 2000s, and it just got really messy. Um, but he did Predator with Schwarzenegger, which was a year before Die Hard. He did Last Action Hero, which is also Schwarzenegger. Um, and he is just a very, very great action writer and director. He just creates a movie so well and creates the overall like feel and look of the movie, not so much from like a dialogue standpoint, but just like how the movie feels. And like, he's so aware of it. So aware of the set, very in tune with casting directors and everything. So um, from, cause I did watch this movie with commentary. I was able to pick up on a lot of like themes, even though I didn't watch it the entire movie, um, just watching it, with commentary for 20 minutes really helped me like see the rest of the movie in his eyes. So yeah, I love this movie. I feel so (laughs) overwhelmed just getting into it, man. It's so enjoyable. 
Yeah, absolutely. Can I give you my first impressions of watching the movie all the way through, not just yeah. the what YouTube the, clickable yeah. clips, you know? Um, well, I feel like this is a movie you have to all the way through. Yeah. 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 I think, and I, I think the reason I, I personally think that is because uh, when people talk about the more recent diehards in their analysis, they always talk about they took away the thing that made John McClane so endearing mm. in the original mm-hmm. diehard, which is they made him a superhero. Whereas in the original movie, he was so grounded and so human. And I think that really reflects in the way that the movie is paced in terms of he's a single man, like literally a single man who has the advantage of not being seen when a group of terrorists super, he's like a nine millimeter Beretta. They all have like HK MP5. MP5, uh, yeah. Yeah, with multiple clips. Oh my gosh. C4. Yeah. yeah. So basically it's like you're playing Call of Duty with your mates. They've got full loadouts. <laughs> they've got the they've got AK seventy four U cheese outs and they've given you a knife. Um yeah. <laughs> and how <laughs> they go, good luck, bud. Yeah. Um man. but it's it's so incredibly intelligent in the choreography of the journey, if that makes any sense. In the mm-hmm. way that I was really impressed in the elevator scene where He's obviously used, he picks up he 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 offs a single terrorist out. He picks up their MP5. He uses the entire clip of the MP5, but then he still keeps it and uses the gun as like an anchor so that he can repel himself slowly down an elevator. And he uses guns as like door stops, and he uses it to stop like the mechanics of things so he can pass through. Yeah, the, and he's like, a cop. So and he, he's a, he ha- yeah. he kind of knows what to do a little bit. I mean, he yeah. just like you, yeah, he uses from what he learned from his police academy training and all of his years as a cop to exactly. kind of piece together all of these specific scenarios like, "Oh, okay, I have this item, this item. Mm-hmm. What am I going to do in this scenario?" And he, it doesn't always work, which is what you're saying is Beautiful. incredible yeah. because it's like it's this vulnerability and this normalcy of this character because mm-hmm. at first you're like, "Oh, of course he's a cop and he's stuck yeah. in this situation. He's going to be fine." Yeah. But he he's almost dead by the end of the movie. <laughs> like yeah, they, ne- they nearly kill him. And he yeah. kind of nearly kills himself working so hard to do this. For sure, which he would because mm-hmm. and again, like like I think you mentioned this before, it's a movie, there's exaggerated parts. He falls mm-hmm. like ten feet down and he grabs a vent by his fingers. And I remember watching that with my girlfriend going like, there's no fucking way that actually happened. That's, that's insane. Just by did your you, fingers. Did you hear about that? Actually, the, that it's, was a mishap. It's a real accident by a stunt person, right? The, his stunt double missed it. Yeah. And they're like, Oh yeah. Well then and, we'll just get the next one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll just, we'll just get the next man real quick. It's yeah. amazing. Cause, cause technically that is conceivable. Cause it was performed actually by someone who does it quite regularly um, i thought about that too i was like I, like i kept going like this like just finger my, strength yeah just, just finger strength. i'm like just bear claws in the like, air think about how sweaty he was i'm like <laughs> come on okay come yeah on. like like so, and it's just metal you yeah. know like and the movie does a good job of going through an ebb and flow of journey because he starts off and he's he's bruce willis in a tank mm-hmm. top and he's the total oh, 80s yeah. machismo just like 
um, I'm I'm with my strange wife because I was too masculine. But I guess I gotta <laughs> apologize to her. I'm maybe. sorry, baby. Kind yeah. of. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Not sorry for being so yeah. damn cool. Exactly. <laughs> well, you got your new job and you're so much better than I am. Yeah, I'm man. a cop, yeah. baby. Yeah, exactly. She's yeah. like, yeah, she kind of is better than yeah. you. Man. She's got yeah. the kids. Like she's got the kids, and he's yeah. all the way in New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's ripped as hell. I was really impressed with how ripped he was. You know that scar on his uh, on his arm? Yeah, it's, his, it's his shoulder. Real. It's real. It's I real. thought I thought it was makeup to really ex- accentuate the gap between that shoulder and that that chest. Yeah, it's totally real scar. And I'm like, your arm almost got chopped <laughs> off with a scar like that. Yeah, totally yeah. real scar, and it adds to huh. the vulnerability of his character, and just kind of adds That's to. True who Bruce Willis is in that time. Uh, right. And like, I think Bruce Willis to me within this movie and just what we saw of him after this film, this mm-hmm. propelled him forward as hell, dude. Oh, like, are they you were... kidding me? We have seen him in such good stuff. Like later yeah. on, like Pulp Fiction, Unbreakable. I mean, just unbelievable stuff. There is also Red. Oh, yeah. There's <laughs> all this. With Danny Glover. Danny Glover. Yeah, dude. Back. Wow. Come on, Danny Glover. Yeah. This is a Danny Glover only podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, oh, a really funny thing, too. There, mm-hmm. I, there's just so many scenes of just Bruce Willis talking to women in the bathroom while he's just, like, getting ready. <laughs> like, I, like I, when he was in the bathroom with his tank top on and his wife's chilling there and they're talking about yeah. the problems and stuff, mm-hmm. I just instantly went to Pulp Fiction where he's right after the boxing match and he's all bloody in the bathroom talking to this European girl. He's like, baby, what do you mean I love you? <laughs> I'm like, wow. But frequently we see Bruce Willis in the bathroom just yeah. chatting it up with ladies. Yeah. Um, before I get into the, the problematic issues of, of, of this movie, which there are some. Uh, Very few. S- <laughs> we'll Maybe get into none. It. Probably we'll none. We'll get it. We'll Not get into it. Uh, <laughs> I will say we, we get that machismo figure but then we really see how how weak he is. Like he he acknowledges himself within like the first yes. know, 25, 30 minutes of the movie yes. where he's like he escapes or narrowly escapes the like group of twelve or thirteen terrorists. He goes, Why did you run? Because you would have died, you idiot. Like that's exactly what would have happened. Yeah. And from then on, it's him either picking people off or becoming incredibly resourceful to try and pick people off one by one. Cause that's the only way he's going to get through this to get to the, the little bits of problematic stuff in it. I like how this movie is America's enemies minus Russians. Who's, who's the enemies. It's a German guy. Is it Alec Rick Rickman? Sometimes in a German accent, sometimes not. Is he just doing Snape for like a third of his acting? I saw speaking Snape roles? too. I know. It's just, like, it's just <laughs> <laughs> this was his first movie. This was his first. Yeah. Like, like movie. Because he's what, like theater and stage before this? Yeah, and they went, the director, Tiernan, he went and saw a play with Alan Rickman, and they were like, you got the part, dude, if you want it. Like, you got the freaking part. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He's a a great villain. Uh, The the terrorist aspect is super interesting, for sure. Because it it was going to be darker, right? Yeah. So they, what I received from the commentary is that they were, like, they had to, like, frequently be like, like sit down and be like, okay, what are we trying to do with this whole terrorist thing? Cause dude, I still think it's terrifying. Like, yeah. Like it's like still pretty intense as far as just like this terrorist group coming in and like them addressing the terrorism and all of that. And like, I don't know it. 
I think they were going for more of like a lighthearted approach because I remember at one point in the commentary, they were saying, yeah, we still wanted this to like appeal to kids. I'm like, well, you didn't, yeah, that didn't work. <laughs> like there, no, yeah, <laughs> it's still pretty intense, but I think it, I wouldn't say it's lighthearted, but it's like, it's just that they made John McClane, right? Am I saying that right? John McClane. They -hmm. made his character so vulnerable that he and himself just adds an edge to it, you know, saying, yippee ki motherfucker. And like, and like when the cop finally shows up after he's like calling the, the place or what was he saying? He says to the 911 responders, what, what does it sound like? I'm ordering a fucking burger. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like, yeah, dude, because that's just who he is. And with the yeah. addition of the terrorism, it's just like that adds to it. Like he kind of plays with it. Like he's just like joking around because he knows it's crazy too. And it's an intense subject. What do you think about yeah. that? No, yeah, absolutely. So I, I had read that uh, the two writers who worked on this uh, had based it off of a book. And in the book, they're like John McClane's or the protagonist's like daughter gets kidnapped and ransomed and eventually murdered. And it, it's incredibly dark. And I've called them terrorists in this uh, recording, but I think they're actually thieves or robbers, right? Like they have a purpose mm-hmm. to, right. Which is to get bearer bonds. Great. Yes. Great, great yeah. financial move guys. Uh, you want Bitcoin while you're at it? Uh, <laughs> when they're flipping through the book of like the hundred thousand dollars and that kid's like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, this is amazing. I'm like, yeah, what? Yeah. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. But there, I think knowing what I know from, I guess, the writer's perspective on that book, they certainly made an effort to, to add some brevity to it, which is like the majority of those actors aren't German. I think only one of those actors is German. Yeah. Um, and they're hokey accents at best. What else? There's the idea of like the limo driver character is fantastic argyle like a, what a great argyle. Plot device, dude what a great what character a great character man what a gra- oh <laughs> the best and he's like telling his girl like yeah baby yeah. i'll come home after this <laughs> i kept wondering like yo <laughs> he straight up did not go home after that yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but it was it was to the point where to, to also go back to my like problematic issues with it we've got germans as, as the terrorist organization there's mm-hmm. a lot of just great playful racism towards japanese people in the first 15 minutes just you work for a japanese company now i didn't realize the japanese celebrate christmas even the japanese actor saying something like well pearl harbor didn't work so we got you what dvd players or vhs players or some shit like that like <laughs> just great playful racism there that's fine um but it was so cartoon i love that yeah <laughs> You love I thought playful it was, I thought racism. It was, I thought it was hilarious in that sense because it's just like the two completely like Germans right. and Japanese over like yeah. World War II tensions and they're just yeah, like, exactly. oh yeah, well, we got you this, bitch. It's like, exactly. <laughs> it's like so come on, man. That's hilarious. <laughs> I didn't feel like it was subtle racism at all because they're both kind of Japanese. I think it was Japanese. super playful racism. Just, I thought it was playful. Like, I thought it was tasteful, honestly. Like tasteful? I thought it yeah, I didn't, I didn't find any problem with it. I, I found that with the combination of John McClane's just over like overbearing 80s male machismo just being like yeah okay man i've served very tension-filled cups to you at starbucks you're that old white man i've 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 been like (laughs) i work your customer service job just get on my face what i'm trying to say it was so camp that literally while watching this movie at some point I was expecting like a Russian dude to join the crew or just to pop mm. up and just mm-hmm. be overbearingly Russian. Like mm-hmm. it, it serves that it is dark. It is something you probably shouldn't show to a little child who's like into power Rangers or like in that phase of life. 
mm-hmm. but at the same time i was expecting some level of camp to that to that effect mm-hmm. i think that within this movie kind of including with like the again i'm not really sure of the ethnicity of these characters still yeah. i guess they're german huh yeah because we hear like german russian i don't know but i feel like Alan Rickman's character, uh, Gruber, um, Hans Hans Gruber. Gruber. Yeah. Nice dude. That's a great (laughs) name. Kind of a gross name. Um, I didn't find him to be the only memorable character and Bruce Willis, the only memorable character in lethal weapon. Yeah. Only Danny Glover, Mel Gibson, man. That's all that really matters. And this, you've got Al, the cop, you've got the three other, you've got the, uh, the crazy dude that um, Fabio, uh, German Fabio, German Fabio that uh, Bruce Willis is fighting the entire movie and still yeah. doesn't die until the end when he comes out like ah, like a zombie. <laughs> yeah. Like you have all these memorable characters, the wife, Takagi, you know, like the yeah. Argyle. The, uh, we mentioned Argyle. Oh. Um, who's the oh, Ellis, the worst, the cocaine guy. Oh, yeah. He's the absolute did, worst. I hate him. And I remember that I hate him. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, what was that famous line? Bubby. Bubby. I'm your white knight. <laughs> I'm your white knight, Bubby. And I remember, I think that Bubby. was completely ad-libbed. And yeah, so was, Alan yeah. Rickman looking like, what the hell did you just say? Is 100% true because Alan Bubby. Rickman. <laughs> hey, Bubby. I'm your hey, white Bubby. knight. That, that was for sure the cocaine talking for him, man. Yeah. So oh. I love that. And I love that from like like you're just seeing so many of these different characters mm-hmm. and as like the director John McTiernan was saying he's like wow our casting director did an incredible job getting these minor parts because they stick out so well and i yeah. think i really appreciate that because i think that going into this movie not a lot of people knew who Bruce Willis was quite yet Mel Gibson yeah. and Danny Glover were really popular for them and there was like well these two guys are in a movie like they were already popular by then mm-hmm. so it was like people wanted to see that and I think the reason that movie did well is because they were looking for those two characters and desiring them and people went to see them. But now, as we've seen over the, the years, Die Hard is just solid all the way through. Bruce Willis is solid and people remember him. But they also talk about Rickman and the cop Al and Argyle. Dude, like, Carl Winslow? Come, come on. on, dude. Come Are you on. kidding me? So good. Like The dad from Family Matters? Come on. He's always a cop. Always a cop. It's so the, good. The Twinkie scene? Rude. Oh. <laughs> Rude? Rude. <laughs> that, that cashier wouldn't give him a yeah, break. Just like, yeah, sure, it's for your wife, dude. It's like, oh my gosh. She's pregnant, like, uh-huh. She's pregnant. Uh-huh. Yeah. Sure, man. He's Look like, at your fat cop butt. Yeah. Bag it. <laughs> you talked about the casting director doing a fantastic job. The one yeah. thing that really stood out to me as being my first like full run through viewing of this film was the cinematography. Oh, freaking fantastic. Unbelievable shots. Oh, um, dude, the set design like, Oh, Oh my gosh. It's so good, dude. Like, it, it is oh. so cool. They compliment the, like the camera shots complement the set so well. When we talk about a single individual kind of running up and down elevators and shafts and air ducts and being alone, the idea that of like, capturing narrow spaces or like sweeping shots fits that so well and i and i noticed that not only do we have great action choreography but we have great great shots to match that the only the only thing that really pulled me out in terms of cinematography is that scene where bruce willis is crawling through the air duct he's got the lighter he's about to light it 
And from a single like Zippo lighter flame, there's this huge orange light that just flashes. And it's so obvious that there's a dude behind the, the camera just going, <laughs> you know, <laughs> hey, maybe not, man. It, the light, there's no it, dude. Watch it again, because it's not just like dancing light and it's not just illuminated from this silvery air. duct. <laughs> it's literally me and my girlfriend watched it and we both laugh because it's literally just a dude with like maybe not even an orange light, maybe just a light with an orange filter going. At the second his Zippo lighter turns on. But other than I love that, that, I still I was, love that. I was so immersed into it. Like the idea that we can snake through or we can do sweeping stuff, or we like there even early on, there was a scene where it was the um it was the, the terrorist truck and a car, and they were falling through the garage of the Nakatomi plaza or whatever it was mm-hmm. and the way it's the camera sweeps with those two cars and the speed that the two cars are going I, like that's in the first two minutes i think and right then and there i was sucked into this movie yeah i love i love the set and i think i kind of want to just gush about the movie for a second because yeah i feel like i just haven't like bragged on it enough dude <laughs> yeah. it is so damn good like it's just mm. so, i first time i saw it i was like this is solid but then second time really put in my brain like this is incredibly well-intentioned and is just like firing like just hitting bullseye and everything that it intended to be with the set it was really interesting because this was filmed at the fox building like yeah after, like and it was under construction and so they play it off in the movie like oh yeah our building's under construction right now i don't mind it well like <laughs> the actual fox building was under construction like they didn't yeah. like that's so good, dude. They didn't even have to cover it up. Like the construct, yeah. like that, all that stuff was a legitimate construction site and yeah. they played it so well. Like, like it could have looked campy. It could have looked corny. It could have looked like a home video, but instead yeah. like they pulled it off well and they said it like, Oh, like don't mind the construction. Like, you know, we're still getting this place fixed up as in perspective of the, you know, and I love like how they, like created like this fake agency and created like this Japanese company and the logo. I was listening to the commentary and they were talking a lot about like the computer graphics that they were using within the building when McLean comes into the building and he's oh right like the touchscreen pad. They were I thought like, the touchscreen pad was fake because they didn't have that technology back then. They were like that was the hardest part of the movie was <laughs> coding that because they didn't have that technology and so they had to make it look like he was touching it. But no one knew how to do that yet. What a nightmare! Nineteen eighty what seven was nineteen eighty. Yes, I know, dude. Now we literally you just you can just touch the wall and something will pop up even if it's not programmed. You know, like yeah. it's just everything's just automated at this point. Yeah, it's only a matter of time. I can order a bidet from Amazon, and I never have to wipe my ass again. Exactly. (laughs) Nineteen eighty-eight sucks. They never had bidets. Yeah, yeah, Uh, freaking sucks. (laughs) Eighties. God, dude. Thank goodness I was born in this generation. It's like the anti, like (laughs) anti. I was born in the wrong generation. It's like I love the twenty-first century. (laughs) Honestly. So, in terms of this being the ultimate, the best quintessential is this a christmas movie obviously yes you idiot i love this movie watching it as a film Mm -hmm. it's not a christmas movie it's a christmas movie dude do you know why (laughs) do you know why come on i'm gonna interrupt you dude guess why yeah i'll tell you why (laughs) no no i'm gonna tell you why no i'm gonna tell you you why watch it at christmas i mean i could watch yes you can watch it at christmas and you can watch it not at christmas but it fits best well at christmas if you listen closely Ode to Joy 
frequently is the soundtrack. Like oh, Ode really to Joy like, is like pitched down, like uh-huh. yeah. slow, like yeah. it is like I noticed haunting. That. It's haunting. It's awesome. <laughs> Ode to Joy is famously a Christmas song. Yes. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's yes, not. It is. It's just a general classical music song. No, dude, it's famously. It, no, dude, it's famously. Yes, it is, dude. It's, it's, just it's Beethoven. Dude, it's playing. mostly used in a holiday I, setting. I, I will actually, argue. <laughs> I will argue until Bruce Willis just lights me up with a gun, dude, and I, that this is a Christmas movie. I had this discussion with my girlfriend for about five seconds, and it was about ten minutes into the film. It was the transition from Ode to Joy and then Ode to Joy to Score, and I went, "Oh, and then they did the Christmas music, and then Ode five, to Joy." Five, Five seconds later, I went, it's just Beethoven, actually. It's not no, Christmas music. No, Ode to Joy. Joy and Christmas, dude. You're not putting you're it just, together, no, man. You're just, you're just <laughs> no, dude. Things together. No, I'm not, dude. I think Die Hard is honestly, in my opinion, like the prototype for what we have for like a modern action film. Um, it's one of the best action films ever made and that can either be a good thing or a bad thing because sometimes action movies are so bad that they're good the director pays extreme attention to set design and intentional story structure within bruce willis's character so much that you don't really worry about the dialogue as much but more of the overall feel of his reactions in his body language and the reactions of the action all complementing together to make this film a Christmas 80s action movie that is lighthearted but also terrifying as far as terrorists goes. Actually, my favorite action movie and arguably one of the greatest action movies ever made, I'm going to give it a strong four and a half out of five. What we have collected are like the classic kind of a Christmas movie, but maybe sort of not just kind of easy to say Merry Christmas in it, but (laughs) intended for a Christmas audience or a family audience, whatever. If you're even taking your family to see this movie, I don't know, (laughs) but they're both able to have very similar aspects of it, but also very different from what we found. But the similar point is it's a cop film in a way, and they're action films and they deal with vulnerable characters but also with crazy big overblown explosive action scenes as well you know you just have outlandish tropes and you also have very down to earth and understandable while i think die hard produces less emotion than lethal weapon i get the most out of it i think from die hard instead of lethal weapon i find lethal weapon to be a little bit more corny um I don't know. What do you think? I think you've hit the nail on the head in terms of Die Hard is a fantastic piece of action in terms of yes. it's not just action for action's sakes. I think it's intelligent action. Mm-hmm. And as as far as it being a Christmas movie, listen, if you if your tradition is watching Die Hard at <laughs> Christmas time, then by all means, it's a Christmas movie. It gives you the Christmas feelings. It reminds you of Christmas. That's awesome. That's my tradition now. Honestly, I'm going to be doing that. It's a good tradition. It's a fantastic tradition. Thank you. I appreciate it. I need to know from you that it's a good tradition. After you grilled me on Ode to Joy. (laughs) Continue. Some of us watched Lord of the Rings, all three of them, during the single day of Thanksgiving. And who am I to say that that's wrong or right? Uh, Mm -hmm. But in terms of charisma and just feeling good at, at looking at someone on screen, I think Danny Glover, and honestly, just Danny Glover, 
gets the gets the big W for me in, in Lethal Weapon. Now, if we if we put Danny Glover in Bruce Willis's shoes, we've got a perfect '80s Christmas action film right there. I think. Just put Carl Winslow in Bruce Willis's shoes, in oh. <laughs> and that's the perfect '80s action I, film right there. Okay, you're maybe. I think Bruce Willis was. I oh, I just, it's perf, It's nearly perfect to me. Okay. I think yeah. you know. I, and I that's think fair. And like, because I don't think that there should have been any other changes to Die Hard. Maybe some dialogue decisions, and yeah, you know, j- maybe just some stuff like with him, like, hey, by the way, man, can you tell my wife this? It's like, yeah. whatever, dude. Just keep smoking a cigarette <laughs> and fight some bad guys. Like, I don't want to yeah. hear that. Yeah. But, I, I think that there's a lot left to be desired with Lethal Weapon, and I'm fully fulfilled with Die Hard. Yeah. Um, completely. And I think that that maybe some people, like, I think in your uh, defense, you probably would disagree in a sense that you kind of seem to like Lethal Weapon a little bit more, which is fine that you're wrong. I mean, you're allowed to be. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> you know what it is? They're, the both these movies are relics of the eighties and and kind absolutely eighties like mu- yes. machismo. And I think like we we, we were born in the eighties and we exactly. didn't know the eighties. And so yeah. to us, this is just like a like a like a period piece at, from what yeah. we're observing. But they're like in time, real life thing. Like people were watching the, these movies in eighty seven, eighty eight, and they're like just like we watch, you know, the newest I don't know drama to come out these days. Yeah, I yeah. don't really know. Like yeah. What you know what I'm talking about, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just we, like current we, we time love movies. to see the four Hollywood Chris's. That's what we yes. love to see. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, we love it. Some of us love it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like maybe it's time for '80s machismo to die, or or just stay in the '80s. Mm, that's true. Jason, thanks for coming on here, man. Talking '80s action Christmas movies with me, with some iconic actors, iconic action scenes, just iconic just really sticks out to me yeah absolutely uh thanks for inviting me over thanks for having me watch these movies i think it's gonna really push forward my christmas watch list in a in a big strong way big plays uh but i really had a lot of fun on this podcast and had a lot of fun talking 80s sweaty men with you i love it's, it it's it's kind of our general topic of discussion that we have anyways so it, it yeah kind of felt yeah natural we, in the sense really just kind of a big dinner table whenever i just call you up and be like what sweaty uh, 80s action here did you think of today man <laughs> and without hesitation i say what do you say Schwar- which one schwartz schwarzenegger schwarzenegger salone <laughs> uh kilmer val kilmer val. <laughs> jean-claude van damme Anyway, what do you yeah. what do you got going on, man? What do you got to promote? Oh man, so I'm actually on a weekly podcast called Drinkopedia, and it's where me and a couple of our friends we we go. One of us goes and learns two random topics, uh, ranging anywhere from like animals to music to food to just weird things that you never think about or always wonder what the heck is that but are too lazy to, to find some research. And one of us goes out and learns those topics. We come back and we teach those topics, but we do it with a twist. You know, we get pretty plastered. I have said a lot of regrettable things myself and have definitely spread it out on the internet, but it's, it's, it's all in good fun. Um, but yeah, that's, that's us. That's Drinkopedia. You can follow us at Drinkopedia pod and you can find us on a, I think you can find us on basically anything, but mostly iTunes podcasts and Spotify. 
I am Bear Boswell. Thank you so much for checking out this podcast. You can support us by subscribing to us on your chosen podcast player. We put this podcast out for free every two weeks. So if you want to give back, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars is great. And if you want to suggest a film, a topic, or just express your thoughts, get in touch via email at defilmpod at gmail.com. Next time, myself and a different guest take a look at Stop Making Sense in American Utopia by looking at the music of Talking Heads and the Artistry of David Byrne. So check out those films in the next two weeks and be a part of our discussion. This has been Double Exposure. We'll see you around.